Hi, I'm Jeremy Hall, and welcome to a special episode of the Kingdom Ethics Podcast. This is sort of a bonus episode as we transition to new gear, new technology, new formatting, and new recording space. We know that the first three episodes have been a little rough. They were all recorded at once with the intent of being a proof of concept. Do people want this? Do we want to invest in this kind of a project? And is this a medium that we think we can be successful and proficient in? And as it turns out, it's been really successful. Our social media posts right now reach about a thousand people. On Stitcher, we're the number three podcast when you search ethics, and we're creeping up on other platforms like SoundCloud and iTunes. Now, what really helps us to continue that upward trajectory and helps us know that y'all want more is if you subscribe and rate the podcast. That does wonders for boosting our reach. Like, share, comment, these are all good things for us and gives us an opportunity to interact directly with you. So this is a different kind of episode today. What you'll be listening to is is a pretty rough recording. Um, It was recorded in the Center for Theology and Public Life office at the McAfee School of Theology with students walking through the halls and seminary life going on around us. So there's a little extra noise. We're using the old rig. Uh, Moving forward, things are going to be a much higher quality. But what you'll be hearing are David and Colin sort of spitballing about their new book. I asked them one question. I said, So, tell me about this new book. And you'll hear their answer. There's very minimal editing in this episode. I want you to really hear their voices, hear them talking the way they do. Most of the time, one of these episodes that comes out to be about 15 to 20 minutes is about an hour of audio that is edited and chopped and arranged for best listening. I took three minutes out in editing of what you're about to hear, and that was mostly dead air or interruptions or thinking space or one of us saying, uh, for just a little too long. Very minimal really raw. So I think those are interesting things. A few points of interest. You're going to hear them talk about the climate that this book comes into. And they're going to mention that this book is not political. It's not talking to our political climate. Um, You'll hear David reference that this isn't about any person or any party or any recent political event but that it does speak directly to our social climate, that we are more divided than we've ever been. And these leaders that we talk about might have a way forward for us. There's some general musing on the nature of leadership, and there's some good old-fashioned ethics talk in here. You'll also get a chance to hear a little bit about Colin's background. Um, He's a fascinating dude and has done some really incredible work, and he'll tease that a little bit in here. So, some fun stuff, some things to look out for. I hope you enjoy this episode. Like, subscribe, rate, share. Thank you.
Uh, I've been teaching about great moral leaders for 20 years at uh, two different schools, and uh, there, there wasn't the right textbook for it. And the students, after a while, just didn't want to buy 12 biographies. It was time for a book that brought all these lives together and accomplished uh, what I have always tried to have happen in class, which is tell their story, uh, put them in historical context, figure out where they came from, uh, what shaped them, look at the spiritual dimension and try to figure out how faith and what version of faith was working for them. There was a lot of zeroing in on calling, because especially with young people, there's a lot of need to think about how do we figure out who we're supposed to be in the world um, and what God is telling us to do. And so their sense of vocation and then kind of unpack their trajectory of life on the basis of all of that. And then, uh, and then the critical dimension, what do we make of their life in retrospect? And so there wasn't a book that did that. The last time I tried to teach this class, it was with like 15 different biographies, and the students were howling, as were their checkbooks, uh, howling in pain. And so it was time. And I'm really excited with what, with what turned out. And I brought in this dude, uh, Colin Holtz, who, who is officially a student, but has graduated to be a, a partner collaborator on this project. And I thought if we worked on it together, it, it, could, it could really work, and it, it's been awesome. More Leadership for a Divided Age is a collection of profiles of 14 moral leaders that we consider great, ranging across about a 200-year time period, a little more, from all different places and contexts with all different religious faiths. Collection of profiles of these folks asking, basically, who were these people who made a difference in the world, uh, who we remember today, who we study? What, what led them to, to be different from those around them, to to have the courage, the vision, and the capacity to lead a movement that changed the world. What can we learn from their faith? What can we learn from their sense of calling? What can we learn from their lives that can inform our lives and faith and calling today? Moral Leadership for Divided Age is a book about 14 great moral leaders over a span of about 200 years. And it's a book that has neither angels nor demons, and that's important because today we tend to elevate people into either one or the other category, often based on tribal loyalties, people we have affection for, people who sort of already agree with our beliefs. What we're trying to do here is hold in tension the idea of people who might not be perfect, uh, but who still left the world a better, more just, more beautiful place. One of the things that I would say is, in their own lifetimes, most of these leaders, at least at some stage, were, were the subject of fierce controversy. This was actually encouraging to me. It may be that people only become consensus or near-consensus moral leaders long after they're gone, because in the heat of the moment, interests clash, ideas clash, uh, ideologies clash. Like, I know this, Martin Luther King, who now is like the consensus American hero, at the time of his death, I think his approval rating was like, what, 33% or something? Yeah. And um, but now we understand his heroism. And that's true, actually, for most leaders. And so it may be that in the heat of the moment, nobody's a consensus moral leader. If you're a consensus moral leader, you may not be doing anything much. Um, you're not a leader, you're just not rocking the boat. So... It may be that we should understand our times as not so unique, 
But when you're in the moment that you're in, it's hard not to be swept up in the dynamics of the moment. And that legacy and the criticism that these folks have come under, that's one of the important things you get in this book. You don't just get short biographies to replace reading, you know, long, full-length biographies of everybody. You get something of their historical context, so you understand the situation. They're rooted in the challenges of their time. Uh, you get a detailed investigation, in most cases, into their spirituality, um, whether they're Christian faith or a Christian-inspired faith or a Muslim tradition, Hindu tradition. And you get a long section on legacy and criticism. You understand how people's legacies have been flattened, uh, distorted, forgotten in some cases, so that the person that we think we know romanticized, mm -hmm. so the person we think we know today may not actually be an accurate perception of somebody, um, and that legacy and that vision is always changing and being reshaped as new scholarship emerges, as people reflect more deeply on individual lives, and for that reason, not only has this list of great moral leaders changed, it might continue to change over over right. the years to come. Yeah. Everything is interpretation. Who said that? Was that Nietzsche? Anyway. Everything is interpretation. Lives. One thing we say in the book is just like you interpret texts, uh, we interpret lives, too. We read lives. And in this case, we're reading stories. So, And we're telling stories. So this is narrative ethics, if you want to do a little ethics talk for a minute. This is narrative ethics, or ethics as biography as we attempt to learn ethics by telling compelling stories of compelling lives, but then interrogating those lives, not turning them into uh, perfect people, but interrogating those lives and asking, uh, what choices did they face in their moment? What were the crossroad kind of turning point moments for them? How did they do in, in, in that moment? How were they critiqued at the time? How might we critique them now? What were their blind spots? Where were they ahead of the curve and seeing things that others didn't? And where were they behind the curve? Uh, or they never saw something that they should have. It's, it's really quite a, quite a responsibility to try to offer sound interpretations of lives that matter, to draw the proper lessons from them, and to teach through them. Spent about 10 years trying to figure out um, how do you go about changing the world? and did a variety of things from public policy to elections. And that journey eventually led me to seminary, and that journey has led me to this book, because one of the, the questions that we get into in this book are, what do we do with these people who did create massive change in the world? How do we evaluate their legacies? How do we hold in tension the things they did wrong with the things that they did well? And how can those stories and their lives actually teach us about what we're uh, doing in our lives today, what our context and our situation today is like and what they might have done in, in similar situations and what we should do. I mean, it's, it's probably good to say that the overall context, I mean, it helps to remember that I've been working on this for 20 years, and so this is not a book about 2018 America. It's not a polemic about any particular a person or a moment that we're in, but now the timing of the book uh, actually turns out to be fortuitous because it speaks to a time in which America seems more divided than ever. We called the book Moral Leadership for a Divided Age, not just moral leadership, but moral leadership for a divided age. 
we feel like we live in an age in which we can't agree on anything, including uh, who we should admire. Uh, and so having uh, studies of lives in different historical contexts takes us outside of this moment to other moments. It helps us think about, are, is it possible to arrive at something like consensus leaders if we, um, if we come out of this moment and enter other moments? And are there lessons to be learned from these lives that would be relevant now in America or in 20 years from now in, you know, Zimbabwe or whatever? In other words, is there some universality to, to great moral leadership? And we really feel like we found that. I think it's definitely true that in our divided, deeply partisan, kind of fractured society, having a group of people who we can, most of us at least, point to and say, yes, that was a good life. That's moral leadership. Could be a, a public service. This has been the Kingdom Ethics Podcast. If you would like more information about the Center for Theology and Public Life at Mercer University, please visit us online at ctpl.mercer.edu. If you'd like to know more about the work and ministries of the voices you heard today, you can find us at our respective websites, revjeremyhall.com, davidpgushy.com, and colindholtz.com. If you'd like more information on great moral leaders, pre-order David and Colin's book, available October 16th of 2018, Moral Leadership for a Divided Age, 14 People Who Dared to Change the World. Thank you. We'll see you next time. <laughs> oh, the anxiety. Stop <laughs> I hate you. <laughs>